This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast Quarantine Edition, as we are both quarantined with COVID. Uh, this one, we're in the midst of spoiler season. So we're going to take a look at what that means. This is obviously a little bit different since we've been in spoiler season for 20 months now-ish, something like that, Uh, and basically how these set releases impact things. And this is something we touched on a little bit ago, but that was before we came to the conclusion that, yes, this is just the reality. We are in a 24-7, 365 spoiler season because of how many releases we get now and how that affects prices, buy lists, etc., so with that, let's get started. Uh, this is the spoiler season that never ends, and this is a topic kind of born on that. As you mentioned, the idea of spoilers and leaks affecting buy price and sell price is definitely something we've touched on before, but we've never really gone in depth because now we're kind of looking at something that is a little more anomalous. So for me as a vendor, this is where I'm going to take a look at, you know, my daily hot sheets so to speak and i'm going to see in the morning uh, as a specialist or maybe as a category leader wherever i'm working uh, what happened the night before give me the rundown give me yesterday and the, the the past week and let's take a look at things and this is where things get really interesting especially with kamagawa because we know what mechanics belong in Kamagawa. So this is an, a reprint set, which means things are a little more familiar than they would be with something like uh, New Capernaum, which is coming out. And we go back and say, okay, what could possibly, of all the terrible keywords that were in Kamagawa, be upcycled? And there are a handful of them. So we started thinking back uh, in October, Chicago Style Gaming called out like, hey, get on you know your your ninjutsu your bushido all these other cards now before they start going up in price when people realize like there's money to be made here for people that are homers for the theme and that's kind of what we we looked at and what we started seeing recently and what really sparked the idea like now is the proper time and why is that it's because i mentioned there are so many terrible keywords in kamigawa that people are just attacking them and the easiest one to point out is bushido and what this is doing to uh, a lot of cards overall. Something like Isao Enlightened Bushi, uh, I, let me bring up the stocks graph real quick, went from bulk to dollars in this. And yep. if I'm a vendor and I see this, am I going to change anything? So here, here's what the stocks graph looked like. This card was dead. This card is dead. And then all of a sudden, we can see, you know, three, two, three weeks ago, it just spikes and carries on. We've, we've, we've reset the floor on this. And this is the story, not just for Isao. It's the story for Konda, Lord of Iganjo. It's the story for Kentaro, the smiling cat. Every card with Bushido. The Samurais traced this. We have some yeah. ninjas we'll talk about that did <clears> the same thing. So what does this mean for you know, vendors of all levels. From my standpoint as a large vendor, I'm going to take a look and I'm going to see this sale stuff. I'm like, cool, we moved some bulk. I now have room. Uh, This is anomalous data and I'm going to treat it as such. I might adjust our sales price depending on 
what the rest of the industry is doing and I know my cost of goods and this is really important if my cost of goods says this cards bulk then I'm just gonna run it get them yeah. gone and then what I'll do is I'll have my specialists or my category leaders go back and look at the last 30 days of sales I'll pause buy list on this yeah my for sure my buy list number will stay dirt yep and I'll eat whatever happens on the internet while this goes on and I'll say look we have an anomaly here what does sales look like historically and if we see movement over time on something like this, then yeah, we'll increase the buy list because we're going to churn these. But if the sales is as dead as that graph, that price graph that I showed for ESAL, nothing, man. I'm not updating anything. And you know who didn't? Card Kingdom didn't. This is Card Kingdom's buy price on Kintyro, $3.20. They're buying 20. Like that's a real number, but that buy price isn't real, quote unquote, according to stocks. This card was, as of last week, I think, uh, close to 20. Uh, it was uh, 12 and on its way up. It increased over 200%. Right? Uh, what else do I have up? Konda. This used to be decent in EDH. $4.50 for 23 That's That's what they're buying right now. $25 market price. Card Kingdom sees this as anomalous data, and this is what I'm talking about from a large vendor standpoint. So for me, this doesn't really impact unless historically we've moved some in drips and drabs. But if things are as dead as this looks like, then it's not really going to impact me at the vendor level. And in LGS, this might be different. Be do, like, has... So the interesting thing about at the LGS level, when we had this at Moonbase, one of the things that we were big on was, you know, we're we don't make money by chasing spikes. We make money by making our margin. So at the end of the day, we would take, or at the beginning of the day, we would take a look at the orders and see what came in. All right, we sold all of our Isao Enlightened Bushis. What's actually going on with this card? Oh, it spiked? Okay, fine. In that case, we may pick, go to our bulk and repick some of it. Okay. And I think that's something that even as a backpacker is pretty common is like, all right, I've got this, you know, set sorted bulk. Let me go see if I've got any Sao Enlightened Bushies that I can just throw up on TCG Player or check Card Kingdom. See if they have a real buy number on it that's above my cost of goods. Mm -hmm. Because then I don't have to pay anybody to do anything except ship it. Yeah. And that's the end. And I think that's one of the things, especially as a backpacker, that gets lost a lot is, you know, bulk can be your friend during times like this if you put in the time and energy to sort it. And... I personally think it's worth it to do that because one, I like my stuff organized yeah. and two, uh, stuff like this happens. Like Flash became a $100 card um, overnight one time. Another two examples where we're thinking of this talking about the LGS and digging out bulk. Devoted Druid and yeah. Postmortem Lunch. Yep. Uh, they they didn't hit in the same deck. I think they were different things. Yeah. But it's just that. You're sitting on this all this bulk from Shadow War and New Phyrexia because some of these cards are just nuts. Yeah. And then it happens, and all right, now I'm going to go back and look at my bulk. And the interesting, you know, the, the reason for that compared to the bigger vendor is the bigger vendor, you know, whatever, who cares? Uh, the LGS is a little more hand-to-mouth, and you may have some downtime that you don't necessarily have when you're running on the scale of a Troll and Toad or Star City yeah. games. So, you know what? I got, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I can go dig through some bulk real quick. Maybe pull out 10 bucks. That's worth 10 to 15 minutes of work. To me, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, when this stuff happens as the LGS, the other thing is, all right, do you prepare for it? Do you say, 
you know what? Kamigawa's coming out. I know Bushido. I know Ninjutsu, like all this stuff. Do we want to go through and like pick some bulk to maybe pull these cards out? Because we're going to get people asking for like throat slitters to make a ninja deck again, because of course ninjas will be back. Yep. And I think that's the kind of thing that good LGSs tend to do with those 10 to 15 minutes of downtime that they have periodically is go back and like pick through that bulk, try to see if there's some opportunity there. Uh, it's not necessarily something you do every set because, you know, New Capernaum, for example, we know nothing about what's coming there. But when we're revisiting, it's super easy, as we mentioned before, to go back to the last time we yeah. ran whatever plane and say, all right, what potentially like what potential value is there hidden in this box that I can find? And I think that's the biggest opportunity for these types of sets for an LGS. Yeah, to go back and look through. Obviously, you're not going to keep everything. There's a lot of draft chaff all yeah, over the place. Sure. But there were playable cards that are conveniently still playable. Anything that wasn't then, most likely, is not now. It did not get any better over time. Uh, Kamigawa and some other sets did not age like a fine wine. They age like a terrible cheese. Yes. And I, I think the idea of like going back to look at your bulk is important, actually, at all levels there's no way that no large vendor does not just have a backstock of bulk to go comb through because when you do your bulk buys especially if you've been listening to the star uh the star city podcast network they've been advertising if you have over five hundred thousand cards they'll come to you yep. you know what they're not going to go through the absolute bulk of yeah. that all all these cards that we just mentioned that were you know their bulk on the buy list that would maybe be quarters on tcg player they're probably just sitting somewhere in a bulk rare 5k or a stack of them and yeah. you know what now it's probably like you said worth the time to go back for them it's going to be easier because the larger scale they have people to do that you don't have to find those spare minutes but yes super duper important and i think some of this also speaks to like some of these things did get reprinted in uh, supplemental products uh, this ink eyes was in ftb 20 and two plane chase sets uh, anthologies yeah. kind of counts kind of doesn't so it's like all right if that was a popular card then and it has nothing to do with the subtypes uh subtype rat everything to do with ninja and the rest of the card if they're putting it in this interesting supplemental product do we hold on to it for later to upcycle i, I think that's kind of a, a through line here a lot of this stuff, not so much. Bushido and Rampage are very similar keywords. And you know what? They're both bad. Yeah. Those... Planking, reverse Bushido, also bad. Yeah. Those, that's like pennies in, into into dimes if you can. And yeah, you, you buy a list of them overall. I don't think it's a feel-bad moment for people to think about like, oh, I ditched all this stuff for yeah. money at some point. Because yeah, if the graph is flat, if it's quarters, just take your... If it's quarters on TCG Player, take your five or ten cents when you can. Like... If you move this stuff on bulk was bulk rares for ten cents each, like I'd be happy about it. Overall, I think stuff like this is is fine and less impactful for the vendors than people think. Because, like you said, even at the vendor level, you don't hunt those spikes. You want to find your arbitrage opportunity and just ride out what you have. Like, and if it's on prem, <clears throat> it may or may not be. Then yet dedicate the resources to it. Otherwise, kind of like f it. Yeah, like, I think the the biggest uh, like set stuff and leaks that I've known to actually impact vendors at any level has just been Yu-Gi-Oh stuff because Yu-Gi-Oh 
the game is so interesting overall where all the cards are playable until they're not. They're banned. And that changes the context of the game entirely. And so spoilers and leaks ripple through everything. It's not just like standard or like yeah. maybe modern if you're lucky. It's like, no, one set could change the entire course of the game. I'll never forget, I believe it was one of the Texas GPs. It was right before A25 spoilers leaked. And I've told the story on the podcast before. The email got leaked across vendors on the floor. Channel Fireball is spoiling and sneering bridge Richardan Port and Imperial Recruiter this weekend. Yep. Or on Monday. So Sunday, all of the vendors that had purchased those cards throughout the weekend dumped them to Channel Fireball because Channel Fireball had them hotlisted going into the event. They're beholden to that number. Yeah. So the only time that you'll see like this huge change in magic, I feel like the way you do in like a Yu-Gi-Oh and a Pokemon when leaks happen is when you have a master set and you get a card that hasn't been printed in a while where you have $50 mana crypts and all of a sudden, you know, three months later, they're back to 150. But that's not nearly the same beast that it is in those other games. And I think it's. You know, one of the important things to parse when you see these spikes happen as spoilers get released yeah. is what cards are real and what cards aren't. You know, you touched on Isao not being real. Well, as you and I talked about before we went live, Sakashima's student is very real yes. and seeing a spike. And that card is seen play in EDH. It's been printed once in a, one and a half times, I guess, if you count Plane Chase Anthology as a set. Uh, and sees a ton of utility play in EDH, and that's why you're seeing this spike that's seemingly real on this card. Like, this this is an actual number. We've been sitting at $20 forever, and then all of a sudden we start trickling up to like 30 to 40, and then boom, spike hits. Yep. And I think that's, as with any other season, spoilers, whatever, trying to figure out what cards are real and what cards aren't. Um, I think it was Yuriko was an example we came up with prior to this that's an example of like here's just a ninja that's not like a rat it's just a ninja mm -hmm. so you can't go with like the ink eyes you know well it's a ninja as well or and a rat tribal commander whatever no this actually we're seeing a real price trend on this card in addition to the judge promo which is still on an upward trajectory with no signs of retracing yeah um and I think that's, you know, as the bigger vendor, as the LGS, you count on your specialist for that. Mm -hmm. That's where you defer to your specialist and say, look, you pay attention to this vertical. What's real? Should should we be like, I have this Eureka sitting in the case that's been here for three months for 30 bucks. Do I want to move it up to 50 or what? Because now there's eyes on this card that there weren't before. Yeah, Eureka uh, is interesting. Um, I actually have. I didn't tell you before the cast, I have an anecdotal story about uh, Yuriko. So before uh, we left for the holidays, we were just cruising uh, through the mall of one of the LGSs, and I saw the etched Commander Legends foil in the case. And this is at a time where I just I wasn't sure if prices were going to stick on a lot of on uh, a lot of this. We'd seen the Bushida movement, we hadn't seen the Ninja movement. And I was like, the price in the case was pretty sweet. As far as I knew, it was like about where the non-foil set version was at the time because I kept eyes on it. I'm like, I don't want to pay for a foil. I've already had to deal with Commander Legends Pringles. I don't want to have to undo another one if this one comes out of the case and looks like that. So I passed on it. 
and then you know we're two weeks after that and it's doubled in price it was just a card i didn't think was going to hold so i didn't just snap it off at 15 now it's 30 plus on the open market and it's because it didn't really do much beforehand we we're in the middle of this the like you could kind of predict today's bushido in two or three days is going to be the next keyword repeat and we were headed towards the next keyword i'm like i don't want to be beholden to something that doesn't see a lot of play if we don't get a lot of ninja support this is just going to be dead air in my binder because i'm not selling anything right now i don't want to be holding the bag on this but somebody at the lgs to your point was savvy enough to say hey if, if people are moving on kamagawa stuff let's dig out anything that's relevant to our edh players and throw it out there and this was a card yeah. that had not been in the case previously because i go to this joint saturdays and mondays like i've got it down okay. thursdays and fridays are magic nights sunday uh sunday is like all day commander oh so, nice yeah so when are they going to change uh when are they going to have new stock in the case from people that come in and trade saturday and monday yep and i just i i whisk Smart. On, yeah i i just whiffed on, on yuriko and i uh, i'm okay with it I'm, I'm fine missing them here and there and i i think something that's also important is i didn't have i mentioned i didn't have an out for this card i'm not like i said i'm i'm not yeah. looking to i'm not vending right now and i don't have a buy list order coming up so i'm just going to sit on it and if it falls then i'm quote unquote stuck with it but as an lgs as a vendor as somebody who wants to interact and take part in this again as we harp on you got to know your outs as a large vendor your outs is to your audience that's why you're not really chasing these spikes unless they look real you have that sales data to prove hey it is real at the lgs level you mentioned you can go pick your bulk pull out ten dollars and just straight arbitrage it to somebody and not worry about what's going to happen in the case when people are buying for real numbers even if it is card kingdom moving this price up from a dollar to four that's still money you didn't have yep <clears throat> and it's still worth i think you know you, you touching on having an out is very important because especially like obviously as a large vendor you don't care like you have such a captive audience and such mm -hmm. a good market capture that all right, I'm going to throw it up and somebody's going to buy it. But when you're sitting as a backpacker, and this is something that I feel like a lot of backpackers get into the mentality of, of chasing spikes. And look, if you feel like it's going to spike, don't overpay unless you have the out. Mm -hmm. You have to have the out. If you don't, you're screwed. And you don't want to get caught holding the bag on a bunch of Yuriko's that you spent $20 on when you could have gotten, you know, a couple of fetch lands out of that instead that will move. Yep. Because that's, you know, again, we all get bright shining, you know, that's kind of the MTG finance feedback loop is what great card did you see beforehand? You know, what did you see ahead of time was going to spike? Make sure even as you're doing this, you have your outs lined up. And similar to the LGS situation I was describing when we'd go through and pick our bulk. All right. Are we just going to buy list it to Card Kingdom for more than we should, or are we actually going to try to sell this ourselves? What makes more sense? Make sure you're being mindful of that as you're going after these things. You know, when you see the cards start to spike, you're probably too late to buy in profitably mm -hmm. after you account for time and everything else, because you take a look at Conda. In a matter of two weeks, the card's back to almost its old floor. So you pack in shipping delays and everything else with the holidays. All of a sudden, 
you may be caught holding the bag on a condo you paid $15 for and now it's selling for 10 and you're just out of luck. Yep. yep. Absolutely. There's always the, the, the timing factor to, to be involved here. And it's, it's the ecosystem, you know, that's important. If you're following these and you're saying, okay, is this real or not? And you give it time and you watch the vendor update happen where they raise the buy price a little bit, they raise the quantity a little bit, one or the other, or they don't and it's days into this and the sales price is continuing to raise then th that tells you everything you need to know about the historics on this card and that it's just not moving they've done their due, dil their due diligence they've looked at the sales they've looked at the uh at like the anomaly reporting that they have and determined that it is not worth their time to increase on-prem quantity they're not going to open yeah. up the bylaws for it. And I think that's super important because that's the top of the chain. That's the top of the food chain here. Real, like large vendors like this will tell you when we do these revisits sets <clears throat> and we get leaks and spoilers that confirm keywords or characters, yada, yada, that movement is either real or fake. Yeah. Because the open market is open to everybody and everything. And it is easy to trigger FOMO there, but difficult to trigger it at the vendor level and make them respond appropriately when they have the historics on it. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, one of the key things there is having access to that data. And as a big guy, you've got that. Yep. You have all your own analytics, everything else going. Just rely on your community as the local guy. Hey, look, you know what? This LGS has a bunch of EDH players. Maybe I'll go show up and play EDH and pick their brains about cool stuff from Kamigawa that they're looking forward to. Use the resources that you have available to you because it really is important and it will save you a lot of time and money. Yep. And I think a lot of people just don't really get into that necessarily. Um, like, it's super important yeah. to do that. And I, I just wish more people understood that. Yep, that's, absolutely. Uh, I think that's really the, the nice end cap for that. So, uh, picks. Let's do it. Right. Uh, you went first last week. I'm going first. Right, you got it. All right. So it's the end of the year. What does that mean? A bunch of year in review content. And my personal favorite is always CEDH. So what's been going on in the last year in CEDH? Top 10 cards, etc. All of that is incredibly popular right now. So my pick is based on that. And it is Cody Vociferous Codex Set Foil take a look at the stocks graph this card's a turd it's awful there there is no price trajectory on this whatsoever and that's fine i'm totally okay with that uh the interesting thing and i think we may see a similar trajectory is if you look at caustic caterpillar foils from origins from the time origin released until 2018 it's two years foil was dirt absolute garbage dirt 2018 hits all of a sudden we see kind of an explosion in the popularity of CEDH price explodes granted that's a foil common Cody is a foil rare I'm going for set foil because it's the cheapest special version I guess you would say mm -hmm. and I think that it is going to be probably a one to two year timeline maybe less we'll see if we get paper events again uh, start SCG Con did announce the first three tour dates. 
maybe we see Channel Fireball do something with Magic as well. NRG just postponed an event because of Omicron, so we'll see how that goes. But timeline-wise, I think you're looking at about probably a year to two, so I wouldn't go super deep on this card. This card is universally regarded as the most impactful CEDH card of the last year. It's one of the fastest win cons in the format. It goes in Spells Matter decks. It goes in anything looking to combo off, almost as Ad Nas number two. Okay. Or Demonic Consultation number two. Or whatever instant you win off of number two. Also, it works great in Hermit Druid piles, which criminally underrated because Hermit Druid is basically a glass cannon. Once they remove your Hermit Druid, you're dead. You kind of get an extra Druid in this. Uh, worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's a really solid, basically bulk foil pickup. Yep. You know what? Dump five bucks in it. Get 20 of them. Sit on it for a while and see what happens. We're back to slumlording it. Back where I thrive, baby. Uh, you're not up from the 36 chamber. You're just up from the gutter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like this card. It does so much that Sunbird's Invocation can't like go into five... <laughs> Like, going to five-color deck. Um, yeah. You could play Sunbirds there. But it's also your general, which makes it much more difficult <clears throat> to, to deal with. Like, there are so many words on this card, it definitely suffers from can't-be-bad syndrome. Yeah. And so I like that overall. I think EDH rec data is pretty low on it because it does... I don't want to say too much, but it does too much restricting for the standard EDH rec crowd, you can't cast permanent spells. That's the first sentence on the card, and I think yeah. that's a turnoff for a number of casual players, unless it just becomes super easy. Maybe that's the wrong word. Um, unless it becomes more palatable to combo there off go, with this yeah. card, or uh, if your ability to fizzle is greater than your consistency. Yeah. Like then I think it becomes more palatable and, and thus uh it'll hit wreck and, and, and push it a lot. Otherwise as a C E D H card, yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. I've got a, a bunch of uh the full art version of this card, non foil, I picked up on set release because I thought it would be doing something already for similar reasons, but I just you know, nobody was really backing it. It was difficult to kind of defend without somebody with a galaxy brain to give me the deets on it so I'm, I'm glad people are finally looking at this card and pushing it I think it's just been under the radar for too long as something that might be uh, a little too nebulous to work with a little too restrictive to work with or a little too consistent to work with for the EDH rec crowd yeah I, I think that's accurate it's the kind of thing that it's not going to show up on rec because that's CEDH doesn't really exist yeah. on rec but when you look at the CEDH subreddit and the CEDH discords, this card's all over the place now. Yeah, uh, it, It's just exploding. And I think it's going to be one of those things that, you know, when paper events happen and people start, you know, going out to the Star City command zone yeah, yeah. and seeing a million people with these incredibly great foiled out, tricked out decks, all of a sudden you're like, this is great. I want to do that too. Sign me up. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that that flash appeal is, is definitely something that's going to pick up for Cody. Yeah. Uh, so uh, for my pick, I'm going to go back to the last couple of weeks of uh, Gods, and I'm sticking with a tribal theme in Patriarch's Bidding. Oh, yeah. Nice curveball. This, this card's way too cheap. Yeah, the, the MH2 version, and now now it's time. 
So Patriarch's bidding, super super concise. Three double black sorcery. Each player chooses a creature type. Each player returns all creature cards of a type chosen this way from their graveyard to the battlefield. Like, and then the game ends. Is the hidden text yeah. on the card? So obviously this is tribal matters, but it's not necessarily just. I have this in quotes here. Combat matters finish as a large number of tribal decks can close out with a combo once the correct pieces are on the board, which is what this does. Slivers, goblins, zombies. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think humans and merfolk might be like the only two tribes that don't have like enough ETB effects to literally just blat the board with damage or life drain or something like that. Like, and as as far as this card is concerned, I just have this listed as RTFC. Like, it, it does exactly what it says it does. This is only for decks looking to close the game with a tribe. Yep. Even uh, tribal, tribal uh, Tomer from the. Uh, the MT MTG Goldfish Commander series plays that. It's all shapeshifters. Like, this goes in there. Yeah. Like, the longer the game lives, meaning magic, the better cards like bidding become as the pieces within the tribe refine and get better over time. So, like, if you want to see what I'm talking about, go look at zombies prior to original Innistrad block and let me know how good they look. You know, Sometimes it's adding new colors to the tribe by way of new commanders, growing their power level by letting them extend into bidding or otherwise. And as I'm math. Yep. Um, vampires, they were primarily yeah. black. Uh, zombies got blue. Humans got all uh, all the other colors that aren't white. Um, goblins eventually got black, uh, though they there is the rare blue red zo uh, goblin. Or red green. Yeah. Thank you, Scarwood Goblins. Yeah. Uh, elves got black over time, mm. although they were tapping for black prior to it. You couldn't cast them for black. And yeah. so, there are a myriad of ways to win the game with various tribes. Bidding represents an end game scenario whereby you can win the turn you ca cast it, or like I said, shortly thereafter. And like, yeah, this is unilateral. But the thing is, unless you're at the table with other tribal decks that are doing the exact same thing, it doesn't really freaking matter. Like, yeah you're fine and if it if it really does matter you're in black you got everything from bajuka bog to tormod's crypt nihil spellbomb and weathered wretch you're fine so the utility uh so it's the utility and a recent support that put a spotlight on bidding where previously it might have been quote-unquote too pricey or quote-unquote too combo centric for most players and that would report that would report back to edh rec and not flag their decks as expensive because bidding we're looking at the MH2 version, which is a whole $2. Prior to this, it was only an Onslaught and some World Champ stuff, and it was going on. It spiked to like $40. It was pretty yep. much cruising at the high 20s to like low 30s, which is a little pricey. And like I said, flags a deck as expensive on EDH rec. Moreover, my, this point is the fact that we just came out of Midnight Hunt and the next Innistrad set. Like, so we have what, like Werewolves, you can't jund it up yet with werewolves. I don't think you have that commander. We just got additional vampire support. Super sweet. We're moving into Kamigawa. We thought we might get ninjas. Guess what? We have Demir ninjas. We have rats. Like, cool. These are all black cards that play into that. You know, New Capernius is kind of like thuggish plane. Do we get demons and vampires? Who knows? Zombies, maybe. It all plays into bidding. We keep getting tribal cards. Tribal synergies keep increasing, keep getting better. Bidding only gets better over time. And like I said, at this point in time, you're really hard-pressed to find a tribe that doesn't play black and give you 
this card as an option. Uh, so as I mentioned up top of this, similar to the other MH2 picks that I made, the expectation is that within the next few months as population drops, this card will pick up in price because we're done. No more MH2 print runs. We got it. Everything that's out there is out there. So TCG market and buy list numbers have been flat for long enough that we can now begin to move in. My expectation for when we see the price increase on the open market, it's a little murky right now as there are several vendors floating massive stock only cents apart and they are like the low end of things. I expect once one of these vendors is bought out, we'll start to see a small amount of movement, but once a second one goes, that'll be the point of no return. And based on current movement, meaning sales per day, I would expect this to happen closer to six months out than three, but a lot of that is dependent on what we see in Kamigawa in terms of tribes that can support playing this card. As far as reprint equity goes, I don't think we're ever gonna see a reprint of this card directly into standard and I'll cite Haunting Voyage as the bellwether showing Watsi's desire to iterate on a quote-unquote control, in a quote-unquote controlled fashion, rather than just reprint. So Haunting Voyage is uh, just Patriarch's bidding for you if you foretell it. If you do not foretell it, you cast it for like seven, then you get three creatures back. So you need to foretell it, then pay the five, and then you choose a creature type and everything of the chosen type comes back, right? So that's controlled, it's not just a straight reprint. So this place is bidding again in a supplemental product, and I do not think that another single printing and a master set dampens the, dampens the trajectory of this card in the long run. I also doubt an EDH reprint would impact the price of this card at all, but if it was placed in an upcoming EDH product, I'd imagine that the deck is the one to target for financial gain solely based on this card, a la True Name Nemesis, a la Toxic Deluge, etc. Yeah. So. Overall, I think bidding just has nowhere to go but up right now, and I think this is the perfect time to buy in. As far as raw numbers were concerned uh, and listings look like, like I said, TCG player, uh, mark, the number in the market has decreased from 310 to about 230, but the prices dropped at the same time as people are just kind of getting frustrated and dumping because these two large vendors were floating the price. There's uh, one of them now has 80 copies left. The other one has 117. Yeah, 117 is at a dollar 80, by the way. So, oh, like two ten-ish to buy them all. Yeah, the gaming co. Surprisingly, right? They yeah. have 117 <laughs> left. That's on the second page of TCG Player, and <clears throat> the real MTG Kings have 80 left. These are the two that are just kind of blocking this price. And to make sales, people have had to go lower, right? So. Yeah. It just kind of depresses things. But it's that quantity reduction that I'm looking at. You know, that's like what? Uh, it's, it's almost 30% of the quantity gone since yeah. June. CK, on the other hand, they were buying 350 in June at $1.05, but people have been eating away at it, and they've just slowly dropped their, their buy price to $0.45, cents, and they're now only buying uh, in the high 180s, uh, 188 because somebody sent them 6 in the last, like, week. So this isn't really churning at the, the vendor level yet because they are just flush from MH2 openings. So this really is a population thing. And once that goes, we're good. So we want to get out ahead of this. And I don't think this is a card that's going to go back up to 20, a la the original. I think it's probably hold between 5 and 10. I think that's the perfect place for Patriarch spinning. It should be there until the end of time, unless they come up with something better. But all said and told, that's where I want to be right now for the money. 
I like this one because it, it reminds me of, you know, and I, this is the example I always use, uh, Collected Company. The way Wizards is designing the game, this card will only be more desired, more needed, more sought after the longer the game exists. Because tribal synergies keep getting printed. Creatures keep getting more and more aggressive. That's just how it works. Yep. And that's, you know, these are kind of like the evergreen blue chips almost at this point where this is, you know, yeah, this is a blue chip. I, I would say this qualifies. This is something I want to sit on forever. Awesome. Sign me up. And that's where, why I think it's a solid pick because even when it gets reprinted, sure, it takes a hit. But how many people at your local store have tribal decks? And how many tribal decks do they have? Yep. You know, I at one point there was a guy who was the tribal guy. He literally even had a minotaur and an enchantment tribal deck. By which I don't mean it was an enchantment deck. I mean it was the Theros enchantment yeah, that yeah. bestow and turn oh into God. dudes. <laughs> like they're all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it's got that universal casual curb appeal. It's very high impact just a good strong card and i i think it's super solid i also think it's the kind of thing that you should just as a backpacker always have available yeah um you want some amount of these in with your smalls because it's something that like look you know i'll trade you a dollar fifty and buy list commons and uncommons for that card because tcg loves a dollar great send me all of your signets fine give me six is it signets for this card and I'll make my money back yeah. This, I, I just think it's great yeah it, it's weird it's like this card was unknown when it only had an onslaught printing and now it's just growing in popularity it's not all over yet it's still in a low population of decks compared to what it could be for a card that fits into so many tribes overall yeah I think but I think it's just a matter of time and it really was that gatekeeping on the price of the onslaught version that kept this card from popping up on Rex in more than just like so this is what Rex looks like. I'll show everybody. Like, Iname, a spirit, is number one. Then, you know, dragons, elves, goblins, slivers, like I mentioned. Grist. I don't know what you're doing there. I don't really care right now. Minotaurs, <laughs> elves again, rats, more dragons. Like, it, this is kind of a, a varied set of generals. What you don't see here is, like, Gissa and Garolf, but you definitely see them represented under the new cards with uh, some of the scabs like you're, yep. you're seeing this come in and I think it's just like I said a matter of time for the mystique of this $30 card to really creep into wreck as a slivers player I've known about it as a goblin yep. bidding player I knew about it goblin bidding by the way is way better now with snoop oh yeah I, so yeah, but I mean, like the the reason I have onslaught copies is because yeah. we we jammed no, middle school in Vegas, and then I just picked them up from Star City. Yep, like, deck was great. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I'll ever play it in that format, but I have my onslaught ones, and I'm so happy that this was reprinted in Modern Horizons too, because I do have a handful of tribal decks that could use that card, and I didn't want to keep shelling out thirty dollars every time. Yeah, but man, did I shell out too? Better believe yeah. it. And I, I think that's where we are. And I think, you know, just you know, broadly speaking, before we head out over the next couple of months, I expect to see, I expect that we'll pick up on some more MH2 specs here and there because there's still 
a lot of meat on the bone for this set, and there's just come a, there is going to come an inflection point. And yeah. I'm not going to keep slanting my picks that way. I think it's just going to kind of happen that eventually, like stuff we've been watching, that people are just going to fall over and start reporting on and wreck all of a sudden. Like, boop, there it goes. Yeah. I think that's how it goes with casual tribal cards, especially, or just casual blue chips like this, yeah. just casual staples, you know, and it's it's also interesting to me because this is the kind of thing that is subject to fan exposure and eyes on yeah. it at literally any time because tribal is such a universal theme. It doesn't have to center around a set release. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to center around, you know, a new block or a plane visit or anything like that. It literally just like someone decides, I want to make a degenerate elf deck and use goblin and use bidding it. Okay, well, Command Zone had two bidding decks on stream, and all of a sudden, everyone wants to build those decks. Everyone is on this card. Exactly. So. I can tell you the people that know about these cards firsthand, same person, two different decks. Mono Shadowborn Apostle guy, Mono Relentless Rats guy. Yep. <laughs> Definitely. Two decks, same guy. <laughs> they knew about this Absolute. card. Yeah, guaranteed. Yeah. You probably play with him. <laughs> I don't know if there are enough Shadowborn Apostles left in the state. Like, in my state to make one of those decks. Definitely not Relentless Rats. But, maybe we'll get to that in another episode if they bring uh, the Rat Tribe back for Kamigawa. I don't think we've seen much in that regard yet. Just some, some odds and ends. So, yeah. I think that's where we're calling for this week, though. So, thanks for coming along, along guys. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon. Now you can find the audio podcast wherever you listen to your podcast that isn't the podcast app. Yes. We're everywhere, <laughs> finally. Uh, I am at Halt I am Reptire on Twitter. If you want to talk to me about uh, the Sega Dreamcast, you are at Thirsty we'll Sizzler. See you next week. Greatest console ever. Absolutely. And Jesus. loudest. <laughs>